Hey, uh, I am really excited to kick off this series. I'm stoked about it. Um, let, me just, let me just fill you in on the plan, a little bit of what Sean said. The next four weeks, we're going to be looking at the parables of, of Jesus. And I want to give you uh, just a couple of reasons why I think this is going to be really important and really formative for all of us. So the question is, why would we even do this? So here's a couple of reasons. Um, number one, as we look at, at, at these parables, these are the words of Jesus, so that's important. That matters. Um, these are the words of Jesus. What, what we'll see is actually about a third of all of Jesus' recorded teaching uh, is in the form of these stories called parables. So this is one of the primary means of teaching for Jesus. And here's why that is significant for all of us in this room. Uh, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, maybe you would say, man, I'm searching for truth and I, I'm not really sure if that's in a God or what that, you know, I have a ton of questions and I'm just not really sure what I believe. Or if you would say, man, I'm here and I'm just a total skeptic and I don't believe any of this. And I don't even know why I'm here. Somebody drugged me here today. Or if you're a Christian and you would say, um, you know, I want to grow and, and go deeper in my faith. I want Christ to be formed in me. Um, whoever you are, wherever you fall into that spectrum, uh, the reality is that the words of Jesus are going to be way more helpful and way more enlightening and way more powerful than anything that I have to say or any of our other pastors have to say or any self-help book or uh, any, anyone else could have to say. Jesus' words are just going to be better. So these are the words of Jesus. That matters. And in addition to that, these words are for us. Now, we certainly don't want to go to the place where the way we, we read Scripture is through the lens of, like, first, what does this say to me? You get a lot of weird stuff when we, like, sort of Bible code, let's read between the lines and figure out what does this mean to me. Like, we want to, we want to go to the Bible and read it in context. Um, but, but also, let's just not forget that Jesus who spoke these words is the same Jesus who knows every single person in this room he knows you. He formed you. He, he knew you and he loved you before the foundations of the world. So this Jesus, the words that he had to say to an audience 2,000 years ago are actually intended to come to bear on your life and my life in this place and in this time. So it matters. And, uh, and, and what we see as we throw ourselves into these stories is that like the original hearers, like Jesus' original audience, we're actually invited into these stories. And, and Jesus was an incredible storyteller. We, we see like not, it's not just the friends of Jesus. It's not just the disciples who are crowding around him to hear the stories when he starts to speak. It's also Jesus' enemies, right? It's the people who hated Jesus. It's the people who wanted him killed and we're looking for fault with him and you see they crowd around as Jesus starts to speak and and not just that but they actually are engaged with the the stories of Jesus so Jesus will say things like man what do you what do you think about this person and they'll answer the question what do you think should happen here and they'll they'll actually dialogue and engage with Jesus and so Jesus was a great storyteller but he wasn't just telling stories for story's sake so what we're going to see is that while these stories may have an element of entertainment they're not just these big dumb summer blockbusters like we see in the movies like this is not transformers it's not the fast and the furious jesus stories actually have a point and they actually have meaning these are these are stories that catch the listeners off guard what we'll see is these dramatic role reversals where all of a sudden 
what seemed just really at face value to be an entertaining story, Jesus hears and we get to experience this crazy role reversal where Jesus actually makes things really personal. One author writes this, and I I love it, uh, parables then are an elusive narrative told for an ulterior purpose. They're a form of indirect communication intended to deceive the hearer into truth. So you might be here this morning because you wanted to hear a few of your favorite songs uh, or, or maybe just catch up with some friends that you haven't seen this summer. Or maybe you wanted to hear a message that was positive and encouraging and kind of maybe even tickled your ears a little bit. Um, but the reality as, as we go uh, to these parables and as we start to dig in, what's going to happen is the words of Jesus are going to sink in and they're going to mean something for you. And you might be tempted, like I sometimes am, to sort of sidestep what he's saying to you and go, that is really convicting for my friend who really needs that. Um, like that, like Jesus is saying something for somebody else. Uh, or if it just absolutely hits you in the face, um, then you might, you might, and I might, uh, be totally offended by the words of Jesus. And, and I, I say that not just to you, but to myself as well. Like, like we're in this together and we're hearing the words of Jesus together. And I know personally, my heart is easily offended. And so in the next few weeks, as we hear these, I, what I want to be reminded of and what I want you to be reminded of is that these are the words of Jesus, right? Like I, I say dumb things that are offensive a lot, and so please forgive me for that. But if Jesus said it, like, let's say, like, okay, I don't think that Jesus was wrong here. So these words are from Jesus and they are for us. And the good news in all that is that they are for our good. So some of this uh, might feel like affirmation and others uh, might feel like a, a sharp rebuke. So l- let me just encourage you guys and, and let's lean into this together. Let's, let's not do the easy, passive-aggressive Facebook thing where we just go, I don't like the way this sounds. I don't like the way this looks. I don't like this. Get it out of my feed. I don't want to hear it. I don't have time for this. Like, I do not want, like, unfollow. Like, let's, let's lean into the tension and, and let's just be reminded of who Jesus is. Let's, let's keep gathering on Sundays. Let's engage in community. Let's not bounce when things feel hard because it's in the tension and it's in that discomfort that, that Jesus is actually uh, taking what's offensive and showing us, and I love you so much, and the discomfort you feel is me loving you actually too much to just let you stay in the dark. So some of this is going to feel like when you see a gross picture of yourself and you're like, I wish I could unsee that, but I can't. Like maybe, that, maybe I'm the only one who's experienced that. But it's, it's that situation where it's like that was not fun, but uh, it causes me to deal with reality, um, which again is not fun. But here's the great news in all of that is that Jesus' desire is to be present with you through all of it. So today we're going to jump in and we're going to look at the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. So if you've got a Bible, uh, I want to invite you to go ahead and go to Luke chapter 18, verse 9. We'll have these on the screen for you. Uh, If you don't have a Bible or an app, you can follow along up there. So Luke 18, verse 9, Jesus sets the stage for us says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. 
the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So Jesus is the storyteller, and he starts to set the stage for this story in what seems like hostile territory. We don't know exactly where Jesus was. We don't know exactly who was all in that crowd, but from the text, we do know that his audience did include some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So these would have probably been the types of people who would have scolded Jesus for engaging with sinners. These, there may have been actually some Pharisees in the crowd, and so Jesus gives them what probably set up to feel like the makings of this big hero story where you've got the obviously very righteous and just Pharisee who is worthy to draw near to God, and he is worthy of God's favor. And then you've got the tax collector who's totally and completely unworthy and 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 so the 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 people in the crowd would have seen this and they would have gone well obviously we know who the hero of this story is but what Jesus does is he talks about these two men who both came to the temple seeking the same thing the love and acceptance and approval of God as he tells this story what we see is that two major differences start to emerge as he contrasts and compares these two characters the first one is this Look at the way they approach the Father. The Pharisee, his approach, he comes to the Father with his hands out like this, and and what he's got and what he's bringing to God is all of his good works, all of his righteousness, who he is, his standing, uh, and and what what we see when we look at him is when we just look at even, even his posture and his proximity to God, see that he's standing upright. He's he's very proud of what he's done. His eyes are lifted up. He's, he's actually separated himself from the crowd and he's, he's drawn himself closer to God. And everything about who he is and what he looks like, just, just by appearance alone, it says like this guy is worthy. This is someone who is worthy to draw near to God. And he comes close. And then what we see is this long prayer. He prays a long prayer and in it he's saying, God, this is all of what I've done. This is who I am. These are the the list of my accomplishments and what I've done and what I'm doing for you. Here are all the things that I don't do, the sin that I abstain from. Um, We don't know exactly for sure if this was like an internal prayer. Jesus says in other places that sometimes Pharisees would pray out loud. So it's possible that he's even up front praying this bold, courageous, confident prayer about how great he is within earshot of the tax collector. He's saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like him, that guy over there. Thank you, God, that you have made me so righteous. And the hearers of this parable would actually have expected God to respond to the Pharisee with love and approval. Now, in our context and in our culture, we hear about this Pharisee, and especially if you grew up in the church, you hear, like we say Pharisee, and automatically we assume, well, that's the villain. The Pharisees are the bad guys. 
Like I grew up in church, it was like Pharisees, they're not fair, you see. Um, like, so the whole thing about a Pharisee is it's like that's the bad guy. You know, he, he seems good, but he's the bad guy. But, but listen, like try to step into the shoes of, of these hearers. This Pharisee, when Jesus starts to unpack this story, would have been to us like a good pastor, someone who really actually loves the Lord, who's really trying to keep his commandments. He's serving the church and, he, and he's doing it in a way that he's carrying himself with integrity, right? So he's not like one of these like rock star pastors who's using the pulpit to build a social media platform so that he can have millions of followers because he's ambitious and, and it's all selfishness and then he's surrounded by scandals. It's, it's not that kind of a thing. This is a, a good pastor, someone who really loves the church and is laying his life down. And so as you, as you start to just picture that think about maybe you have somebody in mind like this is that's kind of who this sounds like a pastor that if I if I were to go to their church I would gladly submit to their leadership and I'd follow that pastor and I trust them like just just picture that and so that's kind of what this story conjures up for this crowd but then he even takes it further than that. So this is obviously a well-respected man. But then, then Jesus even takes it further and says, this is actually someone who's gone above and beyond. So that pastor that you're thinking of, he also, by the way, writes books and preaches at conferences and does podcasts. And it's all for the benefit of others. It's so that he can build up the church and he can build up church planners and more people can be sent and he's generous and all these things. It is just above and beyond. And this Pharisee is like that. Those who listened to this story would have said, wow, that's incredible. This, this is somebody worthy. This is somebody incredible. I would love it to follow that man. And so this is someone who's, who's like that. He's, he's fasting more than what was required. It was only required to fast on the day of atonement. He says, I'm doing it twice a week. He, he tithes out of everything that he gets. That means he's not just giving a tenth of his income Everything else that comes in, he's given a tenth of it to the Lord. Jesus says elsewhere, he kind of teases the Pharisees. He's like, you guys tithe out of your spice rack. Like you are so following the letter of the law that you're like, you get 10 peppercorns and you're like one for Jesus. Like, you, like that's how to the letter of the law you are. So you're taking everything you want. He says, I, I do that. I tithe out of everything. And so, so they would have actually expected God to hear this prayer and to be impressed. He would have expected God to look at this man and be grateful. Like, man, I'm so glad you're on my team. So glad we're in this together. So the Pharisee comes, and when he comes, he's got the work of his hands. He's bringing that to the Lord. And then conversely, the tax collector, he comes, and his hands are out too, the difference is that he comes and he is totally empty-handed. The only thing that he brings is his brokenness, his, his emptiness. And when he comes to the Lord, he, like the Pharisee who separated himself, the tax collector also separates himself from the crowd, except not to be closer to the Lord as if he was more worthy than others, but he actually isolates himself and moves away this is someone who his very appearance just screams like this is an unworthy guy. He is not worthy to even be in the presence of God. And so we see from his posture, he's, he's downcast. 
His face is down. He's hunched over. He's far off. He's beating his breast. You get the feeling that this guy probably showed up at the temple. And as soon as he got there, it was like, why am I even here? Like, am I totally wasting my time right now? Because there's no way. Like, if, I'm, if, if the God I'm praying to is real, then he actually knows what I am, and he knows who I am, and he knows what, I do, what I've done, and he knows my heart. He sees all of it. So why am I even here? And so he, he just gets out this short prayer. He says, God, I'm a sinner. Please have mercy on me. He's saying, God, have mercy on me. Don't give me what I deserve. I deserve your wrath. I deserve punishment. Don't give me that, please. And, and Jesus' audience would actually have expected God to look at that man and to give him, and, and they, they also probably hoped that God would give him exactly what he deserved. Now, for us, the cultural implications of being a tax collector, that sometimes gets lost on us. So, so just try to understand the, the way that people viewed this man, okay? Think about tax season. Does, does anybody, like, love tax season? Maybe, yeah, like, tax people here, I guess they might. Um, for me, though, and probably everybody else, it's just the worst. It's just the worst season of all. Like, I love the other seasons. Tax season is the worst. Like, so in January, though, th- think about all of this. And we're going to just wrap this up. You got all of the documents that come in January, and you got to keep track of all of that. And you're like, I don't even know what this is, but I'm, I'm supposed to keep it. And then in February, you go to TurboTax, because this is the year that you're going to do it yourself. And then you're like, I probably shouldn't be getting back $20,000. So I maybe did something wrong. I put a decimal in the wrong spot. And so then you go wait four hours somewhere, and somebody tells you, actually, you owe a lot of money. So then you got to pay it. So take all of that, like all of the anxiety and the stress, and then just like, why, why am I paying this? All of that, and just wrap it up, and then like put that into a person, except that person is the guy at work that like microwaves fish in the office and wrap it all into that guy and now you start to have like this snapshot of okay I think I'm getting the gist of when people looked at a tax collector it's kind of like that they looked at this guy and they were like I don't want to be friends with that guy I don't want to be around him he bothers me but even more than that like this is somebody that was viewed as not just a guy with a crummy job it even went so much deeper than that this is somebody who's viewed as a traitor This is somebody who is actively ripping other people off for his own benefit and his own well-being. So the reality for Jesus here is is that given this man's situation, given his cultural standing, um, his, his pleas for mercy, and in fact his very being in the temple were honestly completely hopeless. The thing that he was thinking, why am I even here? They were thinking the same thing. Yeah, you shouldn't be there. There's, there's really no point. Nevertheless, these two men approach God, and this is where we see the second big difference between these two characters, and that's in the Father's response to them. And this is where Jesus absolutely pulls out the rug. So look at verse 14 with me. Jesus says, and he's still talking about the tax collector here. He says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, 
went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Right? So this is crazy. This is crazy. Two men, one comes with all of his accomplishments, all of his accolades, a ton of good stuff. We might even be tempted to think, man, God really does need him. And the other guy comes empty-handed and the only thing he really knows is how much he needs God. And the shocking reality of this story is that it is the tax collector, not the Pharisee, who leaves justified. It's the tax collector who is made right before God. He's the one who is accepted. The fact that he's justified means that in spite of all of his guilt, he is the one who is pardoned. So for those listening to this parable, this is the place where Jesus might as well have just slapped them in the face. This is the place where Jesus went from up-and-coming, new, young teacher, preacher, guy, growing in popularity, we're checking him out, and, and went from that to heretic who's dismantling and disowning and abolishing the law. So their response is like, Jesus, what are you talking about? Have you gone off the deep end? You, are, are you abandoning the law? Are you an absolute heretic? And, and here's what Jesus is actually saying. And I want to go to the, the Sermon on the Mount because here is where Jesus preaches his longest sermon and actually unpacks so much of what he's getting at here. This sheds a lot of light. So if you've got a Bible, you can go to Matthew 5. I'm going to be in a few chapters here. And here's what, here's what Jesus says. And this is kind of the, the answer to that question. Jesus, why are you here? Are you abolishing the law? Are you doing away with it? What are you saying? What's your message? Why are you doing this? And here's Jesus' response in a sermon. He says in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And then jump down to verse 20, and he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus goes on in the following chapters to sort of just talk about the law. And, and what he says is just flipping everything on its head. And he says, listen, you, you've heard the law. You know what it is. And some of you have even kept the law. And some of you have really been adhering to the law so much that you, like to the very letter of the law, you are following it. You are following it so closely. But what he says is, it's not enough. Because what you're asking is you're asking to stand before a God that is infinite. He's holy. He's spotless. He's righteous. He's perfect. He's all of these things that you are not. And so it's more than what's on the outside. Jesus says, listen, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. And most of you have kept that commandment. Gold star for you. But there's more to it than that. Jesus says, if Listen, lots of people don't murder and they get to the end of a day and go, wow, I didn't murder anybody. It's not like a big deal to celebrate. Like nobody's tweeting that out. Didn't murder today. Another one. Hashtag blessed. Jesus is saying, listen, if you even hate someone in your heart, then you're guilty of the thing. 
adultery. He says, a lot of you have not committed adultery, but I'm telling you, if you have had lust for another person in your heart, then you have committed the sin of adultery. What he's saying is this God sees it all. It's not just the things that are external, but it's the hidden things. It's your motives. It's your desires. It's your thoughts. God sees all of it. And so the things that are underneath the surface, even if you keep the very letter of the law, you're not keeping the spirit of the law because it goes down so much deeper than just what you do or don't do. So what Jesus is doing here is he's actually raising the bar beyond anything that any of us can do to save ourselves. But the problem in our human condition is that when so many of us see like, that we've fallen short, what do we do? We want to work harder. We want to do more. We want to, like somebody raises the bar and we're like, challenge accepted. Let's do this. I'm going to work harder and I'm going to get it. And the hope in that, like the, the pride in us says, man, I will work harder and I will do more so that I can take my righteousness at the end of that and I can come bearing that and bring that and maybe then Jesus will accept me. Uh, I remember as a teenager, Every time there was youth camp or some retreat or something like that, it was like this, this is the question that always popped up, and maybe you guys have heard this too, um, but for me it seemed like this was, this was a constant thing. Um, some youth pastor would ask this question, and then it was just like a grenade. He was like, you deal with that. Um, not a lot of help, but it was, it was like this, this was the question. If, if you died right now and you stood before Jesus and Jesus looked at you and said, hey, why should I let you into my kingdom what was your response be? And then that was usually it. There was like no gospel follow-up. It was like, here you go. Um, deal with that. See you next summer. Um, and as a teenager, that's crazy. Um, because here's, here's where my mind went. Like, okay, if I'm standing before Jesus and he's saying, why should I let you in? What's my response? Okay, well, I know that I, I, I'm a Christian and I my parents are Christians, and I'm in a Christian home, and I'm, I'm trying to follow Jesus, and I go to church every single time. The doors are open, and uh, I, you know, I do all these things. I listen to Caleb, and I set my CDs on fire every summer, just the Metallica ones, and, and, and I do all these things, but, but what would happen is like, as soon as I start to feel good about that, and like, okay, I think I'm on the right track. I think I got a good answer for Jesus. Then it would like this, this doubt would start to creep in where I'd just realize like, but maybe I'm actually not doing enough. Because when you start to see how holy God is, how good he is, and then you start to remember like, okay, but I do have these thoughts. And I do have, like sometimes I do good things, but with bad motives. So maybe I need to work harder. So then I'd spend the next year and it would be like, okay, well, now I'm gonna work just a ton harder. I listen to Carmen all the time. I'm never going to take off my Mardell t-shirts. I'm going I'm to do all of the things that I'm supposed to do, and I'm not going to do any of the things. Like, I'm going to share the gospel with my friends. We're going to do the Roman road, and we're going to do the whole thing. And next summer, I'll be able to stand before Jesus and say, here's, here's what it is. And now I think I'm, I've got enough here for you to accept me and love me and let me in there. And, and what I realize is, like, th it seems like it's always out of reach. Like I'm striving and I'm striving and it's like I'm chasing after wind, right? And what I realized by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit working in me over time, what I started to realize is there's this thing called grace and, and that was the thing that, that I really needed 
Jesus is trying to get us here. Jesus is trying to get us see that the law is, it's, it's doing that. It's exposing our inability to be holy. It's showing us how out of reach and how impossible it is to be justified by our own works. And what I started to see is, is that what I really do need is, is grace. I need, I need to get the thing that I actually don't deserve. So the, so the deal is, the, the correct answer, if I were to stand before Jesus and he said, why should I let you into my kingdom? It can't be, well, because I dot, dot, dot. It's gotta be because of what you've done, Jesus. Like, that's the only right answer. It's because of what you have done on my behalf. That's the only hope that I have. And so Jesus raises this bar and he's, he's doing that to show us our great need for him and what happens is there's still some of us who are going to try to do it on our own. We're going to see that as a challenge, and we're going to keep pursuing works, and we're going to put all of our hope in those things. And so here's, here's where Jesus goes in that Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 17, this is a verse that, has, in my opinion, is one of the most haunting things in all of Scripture. And Jesus says this, and notice Notice who he's talking about here. He's not talking about just the, the lawless ones who are just the workers of iniquity and just, just the sinners who want nothing to do with God. They're just the rebellious people who are giving him the finger. Now listen to what he says. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the, the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name. Look at all the things I have in my hands, Jesus. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus says, it's possible to do everything right, every single thing right. It's possible to be loaded down with righteousness that is your own and good works that are your own. But if you don't know him, then none of it matters. You might be an experienced and highly qualified skydiver who goes up in the plane to the ideal altitude on a clear day and jump with perfect form. But if you forgot to pack a parachute, you are in big trouble you've missed the most important thing. So the one who comes to Jesus, the Pharisee, with hands full of accomplishments and accolades and all of these things that he's putting his, his trust in and his hope in, he comes with hands full, but he actually leaves empty-handed. And it's the one who comes empty-handed with nothing to give who actually leaves with everything He's the one who's forgiven and justified. He comes before God empty-handed and guilty, and he's counted righteousness. He's counted righteous, rather, because of Jesus' righteousness in his place. So the big question that we have to wrestle with today, and, and this, is, this is just kind of a thing with, with parables. You've got to look at it, and it's like, okay, that's, that's entertaining, but there's just this really clear invitation to, to, to ask yourself, who are you? We've got two characters here. Which one are you? Who do you identify with? Where do you feel like, like the Lord's kind of poking on you? Maybe today you're here and you're the Pharisee. 
Maybe you're approaching God with hands full of these good works. Um, I, I think a good way to, to know, like a good way to test that in yourself is, is to just say like, do you on a really good day feel really proud and you feel like that Pharisee, like you just want to draw close to God and let him see you and see all of the stuff you've, you've done and you, like you're not afraid or ashamed of anything. You are, you are proud. But then, then on a bad day, maybe the, the bottom is dropping out of life or a, a rough season or you're in a rough patch or something has gone terribly wrong and your response to that is you are shaking your fist at God going, don't you remember what I've given up to follow you? Don't you remember all of the good things that I do and the way that I carry myself? Do you, do, have you forgotten that you owe me? Like, I am a great person. I am worthy. So if those are your responses, maybe, maybe you're a Pharisee or, or maybe you're a Pharisee, but not in the religious sense. Maybe you're approaching God and, and you've got hands that are full, but like you pray the opposite prayer of the Pharisee. You're like, thank God that I'm not like that Pharisee, but you got stuff too, right? Maybe it's you care about the environment and you recycle and social justice and you keep it local and all those things aren't bad things but if that's your hope if your hope is i'll I'll save myself with my good works i'll I'll get myself into right standing whoever the the man upstairs is he's got to look at this and see that i've done more good than i have bad and when he sees what i'm bringing to him with my own two hands he's got to let me in so so maybe you're the pharisee or maybe you're here today and you're the tax collector people have actually looked at your life and they've, they've written you off. You're, you're way too far off from God to be saved. Maybe, maybe you're even the, the person that other people use as an example and they say, God, thank you that I'm not like them. And so maybe you're here this morning and, and your entire identity is wrapped up as like, I'm just this sinner. That's it. I'm just a sinner I'm here, and I really want God to have mercy on me, but I don't think he even could. I, in fact, I bet he's sick and tired of me asking for forgiveness. I bet he's so sick and tired of seeing my face, and he's probably fed up with me and wish I would just go away. So maybe you're the Pharisee, or maybe you're the tax collector. The invitation for, for both of us, though, today is the same to humble yourself. Jesus says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, here's how we know that this is true, because Jesus was the one who first humbled himself. Jesus came, and, and, and here's the significance about both of these men being in the temple. That's, that's the place of God's presence, and that's the place of God's forgiveness. And, and in it, what, what it brings to mind is the fact that Jesus was the spotless lamb who came and he humbled himself first. He was the one who came and kept the law perfectly. He died in the place of sinners. We, we deserve death because of our own lawlessness. And Jesus died a sinner's death once for all as a sacrifice. He rose from the dead and is now exalted as king. And if some of that is over your head, that's okay. Because here's the truth, plain and simple. This is the gospel. So hear this if you're not a Christian. Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus came to save sinners. So if you would exalt yourself this morning and say, well, I'm not a sinner. 
I don't really need saving. The reality for you is that you will be humbled when you realize that the works of your hands are not enough. The works of your hands, as good as they may be, were actually in vain because you've missed the most important thing. This morning, if you would say, I, th- I think I'm the tax collector. I don't really think I'm worthy. I know that I need God, but I just, man, I'm not worthy. I've, like, you don't know my past. You don't know my heart. You don't know everything that's inside of me. You don't know what I'm feeling right now. I am totally unworthy. And here's, here's the reality. You are much worse than you think. You are much more unworthy than you think. You have sinned more grievously than you think. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And his grace is infinitely better and can cover a multitude of sins. And if you will come empty-handed, as brutal and as difficult as that may be, if you will come empty-handed, I promise you that Jesus will give you himself and he will lavish you with his love and presence. Friends, if you're a Christian today, it can be really, really easy to brush past this and go, well, I'm justified, I'm good, I'm a Christian, I'm walking with Jesus. So this is a sermon for people who need Jesus, and I'm already, I got him, so I'm good. Now I'm gonna get back to work um, paying him back for for saving me, um, as if we could possibly do that. This is the thing about grace. It's totally free. You enjoy it. You don't pay it back. And, and some of us, so easily, we fall back into these old habits. And so maybe for you this morning, you're in Christ, but those things that once felt like delight now feel like duty to you because there's something inside all of us that just still says, man, I need to bring something to God. I know that I'm justified, but I I can't go to him empty-handed. I can't go to him without more of my own righteousness and more of my works. And so if that's you this morning, here's what I need you to hear. You are loved. In Christ, you are a son or a daughter, and you are loved. He loves you. He accepts you. It's not about what you've done or what you've brought to him or what you're doing now or your righteousness or what, like what trial you're in right now. He sees you right now and he goes, you are my son or daughter and I am pleased with you. I love you so much and I want to spend time with you and I want to be with you. And so for us, what I want us to feel is the weight of like, let's not let... Um, doing for Jesus take the place of being with Jesus, okay? John, in the book of Revelation, he he commends the church in Ephesus for their hard work. And he says, man, your good works are so evident. You're killing it. You're, I mean, it's obvious that you love the Lord and his people and you're laying your lives down and all these things. But here's the problem. The other apparent thing is that you have forsaken your first love, And so, so much of what was out of delight and and love that was just coming out of being loved by God, now for them, it was just, they were going through the motions. They were doing church, right? They were were doing it out of duty. And so, so what John was saying is, is I'm rebuking you and that's, that's not so that you'll get back to the, the work of loving God. That's so you'll get back to this place where you are loved by God 
and you love him out of that. So this morning, if, if you're in this place where you feel like there is no way that you could approach God empty-handed and with any degree of confidence, here's what I'd prescribe for you. Be loved by God. Be present with him. Pray, open up the word. Uh, listen to God. Be really present, not so that you have something else to check off of a list and another thing that you can bring to him. Say, look how present I was with you. Look how I listened to you. Look how I prayed. Look how I did these things. No, not, not for those reasons, but to rest in his love. The invitation for you is to come empty-handed. Jesus is enough.